Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And it's a Tuesday morning. It is actually February 27th already. My goodness. And it's leap year, so we get an extra day in February coming up Thursday. But still, the time is passing so quickly. Hope you are doing well. Uh, it is a good day. This is a day the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. A lot to talk about this morning. Uh, so we are going to be right out of the gate, right after the newscast. We are going to be chatting with the one, the only, I love this guy, he's awesome, Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League. And we're going to be talking about how the media covered the St. Pat's fiasco. But I'll also get a take from him being a New Yorker and being that he works in the Big Apple there. Uh, How is it going? What's being discussed? Has it died down? And is he seeing any effort to get to the bottom of who knew what when and what's being done? Because um, people really need to know what happened there because it it shouldn't happen again. And and there's also efforts. I know the one good thing that came out of this is that a lot of people now at the parish level are talking about what to do to, if it's even possible, to prevent something like this from happening again in terms of the information you get beforehand, how much people should know. It's not cut and dry. It's not easy. Look, being a a deacon's wife and knowing how many funerals are are said each week, uh, you do have the ability, depending on how much time you have, to check a person out. But uh, from what I've been told and my sources told me, they did not know about this person at the time. But we'll find out what Bill has to say about the latest. And just talking about some of the other issues out there regarding the culture because uh, he is all over it, does a great job, especially when it pertains, of course, to the Catholic faith because the Catholic League does just that and defends the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So we'll chat with Bill 15 minutes past the hour and then moving on to another great Catholic teacher, Michael New, who's a senior associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute and assistant professor of practice at Catholic U of America. Now, this is really interesting. I didn't realize this, but he has some updated information that I think it's the first time in a long time supporters of legal abortion are divided on their political strategy for this election year. Now, normally it's just the opposite. And I even talked about this in my presentation that I gave on Sunday in Pennsylvania, my pro-life talk. More than not, they're very consistent. I think we did see that consistency right after uh, the Roe v. Wade anniversary on January 22nd where Kamala Harris comes out of the gate and everybody is on board with her on the left in terms of pushing for abortion and repeating the same messages over and over and over again. But there's some uh, concern because of what's happening with abortion pills and, and other issues within the abortion industry that's causing some you know, disagreement. So that is good for us in terms of them being on the confusing end because I always think that we need to do a better job in the pro-life movement, and I mentioned this as well on Sunday, in making sure that we say the same things together in a united front and avoid any confusion. So we'll, we'll talk this out with uh, Michael New, who's an expert at this stuff. So should be some good conversation today. I hope you can stay tuned for the entire program. Bill Donahue at 15 minutes past the hour, and then Michael New from, of course, a wonderful Charlotte Lozier Institute and also the Catholic University of America. Uh, I'm just really just glowing from the experience I have with meeting so many wonderful pro-life people in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia on Sunday night. And I was so impressed, not only with the amount of young people that were there at the dinner for the uh, Pennsylvania pro-life group, but their testimonies. Many of the kids are recognized for their work in the pro-life movement, and they were so articulate And they sounded like they were already out there in the working world and working in the pro-life movement, recognizing their abilities to communicate with other young people. And it was just really moving. And it really gave me a lot of hope and encouragement for the future of this movement because we have the young people. Always could use more. When you go to the March for Life, don't you notice how many of the young people are there? And if you pull them aside and talk to them, this is in my experience, they know the issues and they have a very specific reason as to why they're there. So anyway, just very encouraging. So thanks again. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about, including a lot in the news. Let's start with the weather. We've got some wacky storms moving in. We have a strong winter storm 
continuing to progress across the Great Basin and the Rockies, bringing heavy mountain snow, high winds, and a near blizzard condition that will cause dangerous travel. And then we have some severe thunderstorms and heavy rain that are moving in later today through tonight for parts of the mid-Mississippi Valley to the Ohio Valley and southern lower Michigan. We'll have more on that in the newscast as well. Right now, it's already five minutes past the hour, and let's get started. A ton of news to get through. Never a dull moment, as I always say. Here we go. This unity among followers of Christ is counterproductive to the mission of witnessing to the gospel message and to evangelization. As Catholic News Agency tells us, that's according to Cardinal Robert Serra. He said this at a recent symposium in Kenya. Serra, who served as prefect of the dicaster, delivered a keynote address in Kenya, basically saying that the vision among Christians exposes us to exploitation. He added, if we are not one, if we are divided, then our witness to Christ is divided, and the world will not believe in the gospel. Sarah urging followers of Christ in Africa to prioritize their adherence to the gospel message, including allowing the principles of the Christian faith to trump all other identities. That includes tribes, nationalities, races, among other affiliations. Religious in Haiti are urging for the immediate release of six brothers of the Sacred Heart and a priest who were kidnapped in Port-au-Prince on Friday. This, as Lisa Zangarini with Vatican News explains, as gang war continues to grip the Caribbean nation. The six religious belonging to the Congregation of the Brothers of the Sacred Heart were abducted on Friday morning by an armed group as they travelled to the École Jean Ventrois in downtown Port-au-Prince. The Catholic school is the only one still operating in the high-risk area of the Haitian capital. On the same day, a priest who had just celebrated Mass in a church in the city's Bicentenaire district was also kidnapped. In a statement, religious men and women in Haiti urged for the immediate release of the hostages and an end to insecurity in the country, which has long been in the grip of gang violence. The abductions are the latest in a long string of kidnappings and come just a month after the release of six nuns who had been abducted by gunmen six days earlier. Gang warfare has dramatically increased in the Caribbean nation since the assassination of President Jovenel Moise in July 2021. The killing worsened criminal control in Haiti and today innocent people are regularly killed, raped and held for ransom. Hamas is apparently easing up on some demands as negotiations over Gaza hostages and a ceasefire progressive. The news coming after Israel accusations that Hamas's position was delusional. A senior Biden administration official saying that Hamas is no longer asking for a full withdrawal of Israel forces and an end to the war. They added that the militant group's requirements of the number of Palestinians to be freed has now declined. And Liz Warner tells us that Harvard may consider implementing a position of neutrality when it comes to big issues, including the situation in the Middle East. This would mean the university would not make political statements as an institution. The Harvard Crimson reports interim president Alan Garber is expected to announce a working group to consider the change. Former Harvard president Claudine Gay resigned last month after she was criticized for her response to the war between Israel and Hamas and allegations of plagiarism. Meantime, 10 members of Harvard's alumni filed a federal lawsuit last week. They're accusing the school of failing to address unrestrained anti-Semitism on campus even before the Hamas attack on Israel in October. A U.S. Air Force service member has died after setting himself on fire outside of the Israeli embassy in Washington on Sunday. D.C. police identified him as 25-year-old Aaron Bushnell from San Antonio, Texas. Witnesses saying he was shouting free Palestine before he collapsed and later died at a local hospital. The Air Force confirming he was active duty and had recently attended the University of Maryland Global Campus. and family are commemorating the 31st anniversary yesterday of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The former director of the Port Authority's World Trade Center Department, Charles Mykish, vowing the agency will always acknowledge the anniversary. We've come together as a family. We've come together to share our love. We've come together to share our strength. Six people, including four Port Authority employees and an unborn child, were killed when a truck bomb exploded in a parking garage below the North Tower. That happened on February 26, 1993. More than 1,000 other people were injured during that attack. 
And officials say the suspect in the death of a University of Georgia student entering, entered the U.S. illegally. Jose Ibarra was arrested for the murder of the 22-year-old Lakin Riley, whose body was found last week in a wooded area near the school. Ibarra is from Venezuela and again came to the U.S. illegally in 2022. He's charged with felony murder, false imprisonment, and kidnapping and concealing the death of another. There's no evidence that he knew Riley, and police said her death was a crime of opportunity. Meanwhile, Rory O'Neill tells us more voters now say the issue of immigration is the top problem they're thinking about facing the nation this election year. More than the economy, more than inflation, more than government itself, 28% of Americans in a new Gallup survey say immigration is the most important problem facing the country today. That's an eight-point jump in the past month, and the first time immigration has been the single most important problem since 2019. 55% of voters in the Gallup survey say illegal immigration is a critical threat to the United States. Both President Biden and Donald Trump, meanwhile, will visit the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas this week. Biden will be traveling to Brownsville, Texas, on Thursday to meet with Border Patrol agents and law enforcement. And Trump will reportedly visit Eagle Pass, Texas, on the same day and deliver remarks. And there is online video, apparently, of migrants fighting and boxing gloves in a McDonald's parking lot in New York. The Post reporting, witnesses tell them migrants who live in a local hotel in Queens have been fighting fight club style in a nearby parking lot for over a month. There's even video showing one fight that took place during the day on February 17th where onlookers cheered and goaded the fighters on. People that work near the lot tell the New York Post that migrants are selling drugs there as well. More than 6,700 migrants are currently housed in New York City shelters, camps, and hotels. And Lisa Taylor tells us the Supreme Court appears to be divided after hearing arguments in cases involving how social media companies handle online content. The court is examining Republican-backed laws in Texas and Florida that were put in place over claims TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and others dislike conservative speech. The laws were enacted in 2021 after the companies banned former President Trump from their platforms. Some of the justices expressed concerns the laws could cover other platforms like Uber, Google, and Amazon Web Services. The social media companies have compared themselves to newspapers who can't be told which information to publish. But supporters of the new laws argue the companies are like telephone operators since they're transmitting content created by others, not themselves. More details are coming to light about the fake robocalls that urge New Hampshire voters not to vote in the state's primary. NBC News reporting a magician in New Orleans was a person who used artificial intelligence to create an audio recording of Joe Biden that was used in those calls. Paul Carpenter claiming he was hired by a consultant for Joe Biden's primary challenger, Dean Phillips, to use AI to mimic Biden's voice and discourage people from voting. Law enforcement currently investigating, but Phillips' campaign condemned the consultant and said it had no involvement in those robocalls. And the 2024 presidential race heads to the Great Lakes state of Michigan today. This after Donald Trump easily defeated Nikki Haley in her home state of South Carolina over the weekend, essentially locking up the Republican nomination for president. This is more about the health of the Republican Party. This is about the health of our country. And what I'm trying to do is show that there is a hole in our boat. And while Trump is expected to win the state of Michigan today, Haley has vowed to stay in the presidential race, claiming that most Americans disapprove of both Donald Trump and President Joe Biden. And it could be another early beginning to Washington, D.C.'s annual cherry blossom season. Forecasters say this winter has been warmer than normal on average, which in past years has led to full blooms for the cherry blossoms happening in late March as opposed to early April. The National Park Service monitoring both the weather and the trees and will make this year's peak bloom prediction later this week. And finally, in our news segment, an update on the storms we were telling you about in the National Weather Service report a few minutes ago. Trey Thomas has the update on a major storm front moving across the country this week. It's bringing snow to the mountain west, the threat of fires to the plains, and potential thunderstorms to the Midwest. It's the first of two storm systems that will hit the country in the coming days. Red flag warnings for potential dangerous fire weather are in place from the border in Texas to just near Chicago, impacting almost 20 million people. On Tuesday, thunderstorms may develop from Chicago to Detroit and south toward St. Louis. 
Looking forward to continuing our conversation on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection, co-produced by EWTN and Ave Maria Radio, with the one, the only, Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League. And then we'll continue great conversation with another wonderful leader, Michael New, who is an associate at the Charlotte Lozier Institute and a professor of practice at Catholic U, has a very important article recently posted on nationalreview.com regarding division in the abortion movement regarding their election strategy for 2024. Interesting stuff. Stay tuned right here on EWTM. We're so glad you're listening. We'll be right back. Today's programming on 990 WTEO is brought to you in part by Gift from Our Day Sponsor. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers celebrated by Bishop Boyer will be at 4.30 p.m. Saturday, March 9th at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor, followed by a reception in the Parish Hall. Karen Bussey, Director of the Mother Teresa House, will speak on redemptive suffering. Suggested free will donation is $20. RSVP at cmalansing at gmail.com. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from hostility. Feast on peace. Fast from bitterness. Feast on forgiveness. Fast from self-concern. Feast on compassion for others. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Estate planning gives our loved ones peace and time to mourn. At MyCatholicWill.com, a legal will is as simple as 15 minutes filling out information about your family. The standard cost is $79.95. However, thanks to our partnership with MyCatholicWill.com, when you use the promo code AVE, A-V-E, your will is absolutely free. No hidden cost whatsoever. Visit MyCatholicWill.com. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at VisitingAngels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. I'm sure you're familiar with the great work of Bill Donnie with the Catholic League. He's a frequent guest on many programs on the world over with Raymond, on EWTN News Nightly, on Catholic Connection, and many other shows. He's a president of the Catholic League based in New York. The website is catholicleague.org. Sign up for his e-blasts and his newsletters because you get access to these great articles, including the one he wrote about how the media covered the St. Pat's fiasco. Bill, always great to speak with you. Hope you're having a good and fruitful Lent. But I want to start by, by kicking this around with you in terms of, because you're right there. You're in you know, the heart of it all, New York, New York, the Big Apple. Uh, and you could see this from your perspective, from a very obviously Catholic perspective. So now we're about, about a, what, two weeks out now from this horrible situation that developed Give us your thoughts on, on how it happened and, and just maybe some commentary now that, that we're kind of hope, hopefully moving past that, but many people still have a lot of questions. And thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, I have, I have some questions, too, that are still outstanding. Uh, uh, I know that, uh, listen, you just don't walk into St. Pat's and say, I want to I have a funeral, okay? You have to have all kinds of evidence and, and papers and documents and things of that nature. So uh, I do think that there's a culture of laziness in the Catholic Church throughout the United States in the diocese. I've worked there. Uh, they're, they're, people don't, they're not on their game the way they should be. And I think that what happens is that people drop their guard, uh, things get past them. Now, the celebrant, Father Doherty, had to have known what was going on. He's a Marino. And quite frankly, Father James Martin was originally invited. Who invited Martin? Mm-hmm. Who invited Doherty? Now, Martin couldn't do it because he's the airport priest. I thought the Pope was against that. That's, what, that's his term. And yet this guy flies all over the place. But he would have done it. So we don't know who invited Martin. We know, we know why. Uh, now, Doherty referred to our sister. No, that's a man, an illegal alien, an atheist, a drug addict, and a prostitute, whom they were honoring. And quite frankly, uh, the, I, I don't, I don't uh, criticize the presiding priest who I think were blindsided 
because why else? They couldn't have been in on this, because why else would they have pivoted and said, wait, right. take a look right. out here. Yeah. We can't give them a funeral mass. This has to be a, a service. service of some right. sort. Right. And, and they did the right thing. So I don't blame them uh, for, for what happened. But I think that the vetting process is too relaxed uh, in, in this country in general, not just at St. Pat's. Yeah. And do you think the vetting process is relaxed? You did make a good point, and being a deacon's wife, I can attest to this. I think part of the issue is that they're spread so thin. What do you think about that? Because I see just, just people working themselves to the bone because there's not enough help out there. That's only partially true. I, I, again, I worked at the Archdiocese in New York for a number of years, and I've worked, I've dealt with dioceses <coughs> around the country. <coughs> Excuse me. There is a, a, a culture of relaxation, mm-hmm. which, uh, quite frankly, we don't tolerate at the Catholic League. So even if you had had full staff, uh, I don't think that. Look, there was a big obit in the New York Times about this person before the whole thing happened. Mm-hmm. I saw it and I said, what, "What kind of a person is this?" Then I was shocked to find out that they had the service here. Uh, I, I think that the, I understand the dismay of Catholics. I think that the the, the range of culpability goes from zero uh, right up to the top, and we need to know. Who made the invitation to Martin? Right. Who made the invitation to Doherty? So where do we go from here then? If you heard, being that you're based right there in New York, if you heard, are they continuing to look into this to, to get to the bottom of it, and especially to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again at St. Pat's or elsewhere? Well, I hope it won't happen again, but uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. They, they, they're kind of tight-lipped, kind of closing ranks, so I don't think you're going to hear much more uh, about it. Um, I, I, again, I don't blame those presiding priests that did, I think, the right thing. And there are people who are kept in the dark about this, no question right. about it. Right. But, you know, when you, when you have things on YouTube and you have lights and you have, and you have everything coordinated to get it screened and whatnot, I'm sorry, there's still more to this than, than we've been told. Absolutely. It's a, developing, it's a developing story. And speaking of that, there's a, a group that is uh, trying to get the attention of the uh, prosecutor's office in New York in hoping to look into this as somewhat of a, uh, possibly a hate crime. What are your thoughts on that, Bill? I, I don't know about that. Quite frankly, okay. uh, I like Cardinal Dole, and I've worked with him for, for, for many years. In fact, I saw him just the day before this whole thing happened. Out, He was wor- working with the homeless, the line there, on Ash Wednesday, uh, the 14th, outside of St. Francis of Assisi, right near my office. Um, and quite frankly, if I'm going to do something to help out Cardinal Dolan, and I have and I will continue to do so, uh, I'm not going to go over his head. Right. I'm not, I, I, I just don't like that. Activist organizations should be there in support of the church when it's doing good work, but uh, to just go out on your own sounds like a fundraiser to me. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I, I said the same thing. That was a reporter in me saying this is a way to get people's attention and clickbait and, and raise some money. Not that this exactly. organization doesn't do some other good work, but, again, things like this, I, I, I could just see them a mile away, that this is a, an, a, an attempt at more publicity and also to uh, possibly raise some more funds. We're chatting with Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, thecatholicleague.org. I think Catholics just want to know that, that there's going to be a follow-up to this, because as you said, uh, certainly we can understand and we're all upset about this. And, and we want to know that, okay, we're not just going to walk away from this and say, oh, you know, we, we missed this one. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a difference between a person who might be a trans person or a gay person and, or a straight person and an activist. I always make the distinction. When you're dealing with activists, they could be straight. Let's get away from the gay thing. Let's say they're a straight person. But they're an activist for a cause, which the Catholic Church is opposed to, uh, such as abortion, to give you an, an, an easy one. Right. You can't just simply treat that person as another applicant for a funeral at St. Patrick's Cathedral. You've got to do a little bit of... I mean, we have Google today. I mean, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out. Uh, if you're, now, if you're not an activist, if, if, a, if you're just a person who happens to be uh, whatever, then, then that's a different story. But I do think that the vetting process uh, is, is inexcusable, what happened in, in that regard, and, and, and they've got to get on their game uh, and, 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 and find... Who is, who is working with whom? When, once you exactly. give things out right. to people outside the archdiocese, you've got to be a little bit careful. Yeah, I, those are great points. Again, talking with Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, catholicleague.org, about the situation 
in New York. I, I also think I loved your point about about the presiding priest because think about what would have happened, let's say, if he shut the whole thing down. Being that they're activists, who knows what would have happened inside that church. It was bad enough, but but if you try to just kind of get them all out of there. So he was trying, this is what Father Mitch Pock was said last week, he was trying to control you know, give somewhat of a of a calming situation to an extremely volatile situation. I think you're right about that. I mean, the, the most cardinal of the cardinal virtues is prudence. Right. And, and and these priests had to make a quick decision as to what to do. You don't want to trigger a riot. On the other hand, you can't have a funeral mass. Right. So I think what they did, no, I commend them for that, and Cardinal Dome was right to commend them for that. But there are other parties to this that, that I won't commend. Right. Yeah, and as I said last week and I was doing the coverage on it, this is a developing story. So we, we only know so much at the time, and then we keep digging into it and, and, and hopefully getting some answers for the people. But working with the archdiocese, as you said, Bill, and not to go over anybody's head to work on this to make sure this doesn't happen again and that there's a vetting process. And I think that's a good example for all of us to take note. That's the one thing I think that came out of this in terms of how we handle these situations. More with Bill Donahue when we come back on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection, thecatholicleague.org. Check it out. Don't forget, as we wrap up the beautiful month of February, it's the, it's the month, actually, of recognizing the Holy Family. Month of February devoted to honoring the Holy Family. A reminder for us to strengthen our own family life in domestic church. Mary and Joseph serve as a perfect model for every mother and father and setting an example for children of how to live a Christ-centered life. So join us in this devotion to the Holy Family with novenas, prayers, art, books, gifts, rosaries, chaplets, statues, nativity sets, and so much more. Remember those religious articles that Mother Angelica always spoke of, which are so important in our homes, EWTNRC.com. Something else that's important to keep up with what's happening in and around the world with all of our news sources, but one of our best sources that we turn to quite often is our guest this morning, Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, catholicleague.org. So, Bill, I appreciated your article on the media, being a media person myself. I think a couple of the articles, though, were so egregious in the way they made these, these very inaccurate, completely fictional statements about church teaching in the midst of, of their reporting on the incident at St. Pat's. So, so what did you think, tell our listeners, about the overall media coverage? Well, overall, I wasn't too concerned because they kind of they, they gave accurate quotes on both sides. But I was really disturbed by the fact that the Washington Post being the worst among them, that it sounded like a promo, it sounded like a, a PR statement. I mean, they gave almost nothing to what the Catholics had to say. It was all tilted toward the other side and making them out like as if somehow they were the victims. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Uh, they were the worst, but there were others that, that were bad as, as well. Uh, it's, it's, I know that the, you know, there's, there's not much money left to cover a lot of these events anymore in some of these places, so they all kind of cop, copy and paste from each other. So that's why it's almost boring to read these, these statements. Uh, it, it, we have to go through all of them. Right. But uh, some of them, yeah. And sometimes you don't know the comments they're making. Is it out of willful ignorance? Well, they just don't know any better. I, I can't. I can't judge. I don't know. But well, some of the things that are said are just. You just. You just shake your head. Well, you know, we were talking earlier before the break about the situation uh, in the Archdiocese of New York with the St. Pat's fiasco. How it's easy to Google things. You and I both know the Catechism is online for free. You can put up what does the Church teach about you know same-sex relationships, and it'll pop up with with a quotation. It's, it doesn't take a Pulitzer Prize winner or an investigative reporter to do that. To me, it's frustrating as a journalist, you know, who've been, who's been on the air since dirt. It doesn't take a lot of effort to find out what the church teaches. And the problem, as you said, with a newspaper and a news operation as large as the Washington Post, they do cut and paste. And they, they, oh, it's the Washington Post. I mean, I would be in newsrooms and meetings, and this was back in the the 90s and the early 2000s, and I was still working in the secular media. And our EP, our executive producer, and and the news director would have stacks of newspapers, including the Washington Post, New York Times, the local papers. And that would be like how they built their newscast, as opposed to doing their own homework. So they do piggyback on all these stories, and then more people pick it up, and it gets regurgitated with the wrong information about what we believe and teach. Well, that's true, you know, and of course, uh, you do the interviews and you, you do a magnificent job. I'm, I'm on the other side, and I can tell, I can tell within 30 seconds whether I'm dealing with a pro like you or I'm dealing with some amateur or somebody who's got an agenda. And it's frustrating for, for, for the people on my side too, because if somebody's talking to me about things, they don't, I can tell right away they don't know what they're talking about. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to be ignorant and just shut down the interview. I'll go through it. 
But, you know, I'll come off the air and I'll say to my, my, my staff, I said, I don't think I want to go back on with that guy again. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know where he's going. And that would include some people on our side, too. I mean, right. you've you, you got to be on your games like anything else. You, want, you don't want to be like the President of the United States sitting around eating ice cream because you can't talk to anybody. I mean, it, it, he was in New York yesterday, and that's what he does is eat ice cream while he's talking to the press. That's a great way to dodge everything. Right. I right. can see it in, in this, in this, in this uh, genre, too. Well, sure, and, and I think what happens is you get you get into the habit of of not you know digging down or drilling down to the real story, and that drives me absolutely nuts. That's why we try to have people on for more than just a few minutes to to really dive into this. But again, what what the Washington Post and as a result several other news outlets said was that the Catholic Church, I think the quote was, and you had it in one of your I think in your article, has long condemned uh, gay <laughs> people and transgender. No, we don't. Con- God is the one who makes a decision on somebody's soul. We have a teaching. And as you pointed out, which I thought was excellent, by the way, that most major religions yes. are against so-called same-sex marriage and, and sex outside of marriage, but especially uh, same-sex relations. We're not, we're not the only ones who teach this. No. I mean, the, the Muslims, we got our teachings from, from Jews uh, on sexuality. The Muslims believe the same thing. Christians believe the same thing. There's no, there's no world religion that embraces it. There's a couple of Eastern religions that tend to be a bit agnostic on a lot of things, but that's not the same as embracing. Uh, so we didn't invent this idea. It's, it's been the norm in history up until about a week ago Wednesday when people all of a sudden decided to change on, on this. Uh, it, it, it's bizarre how, you know, Alito said this during, when, when he wrote in dissent in, in Obergefell, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court decision saying that two men can get married, he said, oh, here's my fear. Uh, are the people who believe in marriage between a man and woman, as, as it's been since time immemorial, are they going to become the new bigots on the block? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing, of course. But he was concerned that, that, and he did use the word bigotry, Is this is, this is what's going to happen, that unless you go along with the elites in our society, um, that somehow you, you, you're, you're the outlier now, you're the ogre. And, 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 and that's simply madness. I mean, Anybody in their right mind knows that marriage is about family and that, that you can't have a family unless you have uh, a, a unity between a man and a woman. But yet we live in a world of, of absolute, utter denial, of a world of fiction. A man thinks he's a woman, therefore he is a woman. If I say that I'm, 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 I am an African-American and they should celebrate me during February and Black History Month, people would look at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But somehow if I say that I'm a woman on Mother's Day, people are going to say, well, he might be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, and, and this is why I appreciate you really doing an analysis for us of the media, is, is from my perspective as a reporter, I try to connect the dots. So I'm reading this article from the Washington Post, and I saw the one that you referenced and the several others that quoted the Post piece. And so this is the same outlet, a, a number of them, who love Pope Francis and love the, the same uh, sex blessings document. They love Father Martin, but in their piece they don't reference. They say the Catholic Church has long condemned homosexuals and transgenders, but then they make no mention of the fact that they were praising the Pope and the Church for being what they thought was so open just a few months ago regarding the, the, the marriage document so, or the blessings document. This is the lack of connecting the dots and what reporters are supposed to do and putting things in context, Bill, that drives me absolutely nuts. Well, it, it, that's right. And, and the thing is that the Catholic Church doesn't condemn any right. demographic group. No demographic group. Racial, sex, ethnic, doesn't make any difference. The Catholic Church has a problem with certain kinds of behaviors. That's not, that's not, that's a very big difference, but we don't go around, if you happen to say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm gay, the Catholic Church welcomes you. We right. don't condemn gay people. Now, there are certain behaviors that gays and straights may engage in that the Catholic Church has a problem with, going back to our brothers, the Jews, and, 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 and understanding, you know, we got away from paganism where everything went and, and there was no such thing as truth and you could practice anything and women were abused and children were abused. You know, Jews came in, Catholic Christianity came in, and we began to change that. Uh, we should be celebrating that, not denigrating it. Right. But then again, the media are so inconsistent because on the one hand, they're criticizing the Catholic Church. On the other hand, they're praising it. So it's like, what is it? I mean, why, why didn't they include the comments that they had about the Pope before if they're so crazy about And, of course, they misinterpreted the document. I understand that. There's all kinds of confusion. But they're so inconsistent. They use what they want to use when they want to push their agendas and their points. So... That, that's my frustration as a, as a you know, former secular journalist, but I so appreciate your analysis, Bill. It's so, it's so great. What's coming up uh, for the Catholic League? Any other articles we should be looking for before we let you well, go? Well, yeah, we've got a St. Patrick's Day parade, not, not, admittedly not a big one, in Staten Island. Every year, a fellow by the name of Larry Cummings has the St. St. Patrick's Day parade in Staten Island. Gays cannot march under their own banner. That's the way it has always been. 
But the mayor of the city of New York has authorized a competitive St. Patrick's Day parade. The, the traditional one uh, in Staten Island is going to come up on Saturday the 2nd. And on March 17th, he wants gays to march in. This is the government now sticking okay, Hang on. We're good. We have to take a break, Bill Donahue. We'll be right back. I don't know if you heard the newscast at the top of the hour with that very interesting story from Cardinal Seurat in Africa where he gave a, a beautiful uh, keynote speech at a, a symposium in Kenya talking about how coming together as Christians is super important and that if we have division, we're going to lose people. And that's very true. Uh, divide and conquer. We know where that comes from, right? And one of the issues that I've seen over the years, and I mentioned this in my talk on Sunday night in Pennsylvania, is that oftentimes in the pro-life movement, there's a lot of disagreement about how to handle things. And when that is made public, that causes confusion and turns people off. Well, apparently now, our resident expert with us, of course, Michael J. New, joining us this morning to talk about an article that he recently had posted on National Review, nationalreview.com, regarding division now, Michael, in the abortion industry on how to just go forward with their strategy for the 2024 election. Thanks for joining us. What are you seeing? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, it's interesting that obviously the 2024 elections are important. As your listeners certainly know, we're going to be electing a president. We have Senate elections, House elections. But what's especially interesting is this year uh, legal abortion will be on the ballot in about 12 states. And what I wrote about is that supporters of legal abortion are very divided about how to allocate uh, scarce resources. There's some states where they'll make very large investments, you know, Arizona, is a swing state. They probably want to juice turnout for uh, Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats are for president. But they're very divided about conservative states. They really are unsure if they want to invest in a ballot proposition to make abortion legal in places like South Dakota and Arkansas. And they essentially say they don't like the wording and they have concerns, but I think realistically they're just not sure they can win. You know, it's one thing to win in a purplish state like Michigan. Winning in a red state like Arkansas, South Dakota, that's difficult. So I think there are real questions about whether or not they'll invest financially in these conservative states. Now, it's surprising to see them disagreeing because normally they walk in lockstep and they get the memo and they run with it. We saw this uh, on the anniversary of in January of Roe v. Wade, where right out of the gate we had that story, the supposed report on all these rapes that have been happening in states that have banned abortion since uh, since Dobbs, uh, which we know was was way off the charts and was done by a, a person that actually runs an abortion mill in Montana, and then you saw the the basically the machine go in motion, and it was it was very overwhelming. Every time you turned around, they were saying the same thing over and over again, which is pretty much their strategy. They're usually very good at that. So this is surprising to me, especially from a uh, a media perspective, that there's disagreement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other side, I think, at least in public, tends to uh, show a lot of unity. Uh, that said, you know, the post-Dobbs world is posing some challenges. You know, that, uh, you know, even though they have more resources than pro-life people, you know, their resources are not necessarily unlimited. And, you know, like any movement, you know, they do have these internal disagreements. Uh, again, they're usually pretty good about hiding that from the general public. So it is interesting that uh, Politico and some other outlets have run articles clearly showing that uh, there is some internal tension about how to proceed in 2024. Now, in terms of them not wanting to spend money in, in, in pro-life states, is, is that different than what they've done in the past? Because they're so aggressive. I would think that they would want to get in those states and just you know, take over as they have elsewhere. Well, here's the thing. I think some of these groups are actually more interested in electing Democrats than actually uh, expanding access to abortion. I think some of the reasons why they're investing in Arizona, in Florida, in some other states is they're trying to help Joe Biden and try to help other Democrats actually win in 2024. Uh, I think they realize that in South Dakota and Arkansas, Donald Trump or the Republican nominee will certainly win. So some of these groups support legal abortion are actually kind of more interested in just helping the Democratic Party out than actually, you know, changing policy uh, to expand access to abortion. We're talking with Michael New, Senior Associate Scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, Assistant Professor of Practice at Catholic U of America. His recent piece on the National Review, Supporters of Legal Abortion Are Divided on Strategy for 2024. So what can pro-lifers do, and this is a big issue for me media-wise, to get the attention of people to help them understand the issues? Because there's a lot of confusion out there, and even in states where they have a pretty strong pro-life 
built-in network, for example, in Michigan. We struggled so much with Prop 3, eventually lost, but we have a really good, how do we say, grassroots pro-life group with so many people that have been at it for a really long time, and we still lost big time with Prop 3. And I think part of it was that our message wasn't clear enough media-wise, and we're seeing that with these other amendments across the country. So, so what do we need to do, Michael, to really be out there and, and you know, really help people understand these issues? Well, I think first most important is don't despair. I mean, um, it's easy to say things, but, you know, finances are limited. And if the other side isn't investing in these states, there's a good chance pro-lifers can win. You know, they're not going to set money on fire. You know, they're only going to invest in those states where they think they can win. So I know that, you know, pro-lifers have struggled with the ballot box. Uh, you know, the outcomes in Michigan and in Ohio were certainly disappointing. You know, we wish they would have turned out differently, but we can't give up. You know, these ballot campaigns are winnable. They are moving to states that are more strongly pro-life, where we do have a good infrastructure, and where we can win. So pro-lifers have to be diligent, be organized. Uh, media outlets like yours have to really convince pro-life people in places like Nebraska and Missouri and Arizona and Florida to go out and vote. Uh, I think that Florida is interesting because the other side needs 60% to win. We've run you know, effective campaigns. We've kept the other side under 60 so obviously that's not much of a consolation, but that would be good enough to win in Florida. So some of these campaigns you know, are winnable. You know, we shouldn't despair. We need to pray. We need to work, invest time, invest money. But the important thing, remember, is pro-lifers can win some of these states in 2024. In some of the states, for example, that were pretty strong pro-life, uh, for example, Ohio and, and Missouri and Kansas, the left, the abortion groups, did invest heavily because they outspent the pro-life groups with their ads, and this is regarding those state amendments. So do you think they're spending money differently depending on what's happening politically as opposed to an overall campaign election, major election, versus getting these amendments, these extreme amendments passed? You know, I think in part of their motivation is to kind of gin up turnout among supporters of legal abortion to, frankly, in some cases help uh, Democratic candidates who support abortion. You know, again, I think part of the reason why they're investing heavily in Arizona is because that's a swing state and they want to increase, quote-unquote, pro-choice turnout to help Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate. I think the same thing is true of Florida. So I think, again, their motivation isn't necessarily to, you know, make abortion policy more permissive. Sometimes it's to help out, quote-unquote, pro-choice Democrats. So what do you think we should be concentrating on as we move toward uh, the election? And we've got a big primary day, of course, here in Michigan, which is uh, our governor. Uh, well, don't even get me started on that with her extreme abortion agenda. But do you see some key areas in which we need to improve this year with your expertise, Michael? You know, I think that you know, we need to fight this on all fronts. I mean, certainly pro-lifers need to turn out and vote. You know, that uh, sometimes Republicans may nominate candidates who, you know, we have issues with on other issues, uh, but, you know, they're almost certainly better than uh, the pro-abortion candidate the Democrats will nominate. You know, voting is important. Turnout's important. You know, educating people is important. I mean, the other side tries to portray these ballot proposals as moderate and mainstream. They're not. You know, they jeopardize pro-life parental involvement laws. They jeopardize waiting periods. They may result in tax-free funding of abortion uh, in many cases. So we need to educate ourselves, educate our friends, turn out and vote, and just keep up our efforts. You know, politics is important. It's not necessarily the only game in town. People still need to support pro-life pregnancy help centers, you know, sidewalk console. You know, I run a 40 Years Your Life campaign here in D.C. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we just... Um, you know, this post-ops world, it's challenges, it's opportunities. You know, our work is cut out for us. We need to step up our efforts. I really would like to see us, and, and again, I mentioned this in my talk in Pennsylvania on Sunday, I would really like to see the pro-life movement come together and come up with some really good, let's pull, and this is, you know, in, in a perfect world. I don't think this is going to happen. It hasn't happened before. Maybe it will. I don't know, but this is my hope. Let's pull our resources and let's come up with some really good, strong, a couple of commercials that are really powerful. And I think what we have to fight is the fear factor because the left is very good at scaring the heck out of people. For example, in Michigan, they had even Catholic pro-lifers that were writing to me, Michael, even hearing us talk about it on, on practically every day on Ave Maria Radio on my show and Al Cresta's show, reminding them what was in this amendment. We did our own ads. We, we reached out to other, other media people. But people believed, and this is what they told us, and these were Catholics who identified as pro-life, I don't want to ruin health care for women. I'm afraid that I would be responsible if I don't vote for this because women won't be able to get care in emergency situations. They believe the fear factor, the lies of the left. And so how do we break through that, that fear factor, do you think? 
Yeah, that's challenging. That's been a key talking point the other side's used against us. You know, I think that one concern that some people have is that, you know, a badly thought out pro-life bill uh, is going to stop somebody's mother, somebody's aunt, somebody's sister from getting the health care they need. You know, that's not the case. You know, doctors can still treat pregnant women. Uh, the death of someone does not need to be imminent. You know, pro-lifers certainly want uh, pregnant women to get the health uh, care and the uh, resources that they need. You know, we just need to push back against this. Uh, I think some doctors have made some mistakes and misinterpreted some pro-life laws. But I think, again, if we just have physicians speak out, healthcare professionals speak out, do some good ads to make it clear that you know, pro-lifers should care about both mother and child, and we want the best health care for pregnant women, that can go a long way. Again, we can't hide from the other side's arguments. We need to confront them, engage them, and make it clear that, again, pro-lifers care about both mother and child and want the best for both. And, and, and the crazy thing is, and they always do this, and you, you know this because this is your area of expertise and research, is they, they basically project onto us exactly what they're doing, right? They're the ones who don't have good health care. They're the ones who are putting women in harm's way. I think we need to grab that, and I think we need to have women, maybe Abby Johnson who went through that and described it in her inner book, Unplanned, or other women out there saying, this is my experience when I took the abortion pill. It was supposed to be a piece of cake. I'd be at home, no big deal. And the scene in Unplanned, both in the film and in her book, were just excruciating what she went through. And more women you know, describing a situation and then saying, is this health care? Really, this is health care? Or not being able, not having to consult a doctor, is this good health care? And not realize what pre-existing conditions you may have. Uh, how far along are you in the pregnancy? All these different issues. No, just get the pills through the mail. You'll be fine. No big deal. These are the kinds of things we have to put out there in response to this. Because they're lying, but we have the truth. And, and the truth, if people would just listen and not you know, react to the fear factor. The fear factor really is on our side in terms of it is horrible what women go through if these laws pass. Right, absolutely. I mean, unregulated abortion has not been good for women's health. And the other side's trying to make things even more permissive. You know, it was their idea to kind of push a situation where women could obtain, you know, chemical abortion drugs without an in-person medical exam. I mean, that's obvious. these drugs are fatal for unborn children, but pose health risks for women. Right. I mean, if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy and obtains chemical abortion, that could be fatal. If a woman's further along in gestation, she realizes and obtains chemical abortion, that could have some very serious negative health consequences. So, you know... Letting these abortion pills be circulated, you know, willy-nilly, you know, without an in-person medical exam, this is awful for women's health, and pro-lifers need to call them out on it. Yeah, and, and well, how is that health care? We're not getting any care at all. You're getting a, a prescription through the mail. That's health care? I mean, come on. With no guidance, with, with no expertise of the doctor actually doing a physical, it's crazy, and we need to build on that. Anyway, this is a passion of mine, so sorry if I'm getting my Italian up this morning, but it just drives me, it just drives me nuts. But anyway, Bill, always great, or Mike, we're always great to have you on. What are you working on next? What can we look forward to your next article oh there's all kinds of things to write about um you know the supreme court is going to be hearing a case actually on chemical abortion and uh whether the fda was correct not only i guess not necessarily legalization but some of the regulations so again we're going to try to at least put some safeguards back in place uh for chemical abortions due to uh with some litigation so that's taking place in late march and uh, again the oral arguments for the supreme court take place in late March. I'll be writing about that. All right. Well, keep your calendar open for us, Michael. Always great to have you on. Michael News, Senior Associate Scholar of the Charlotte Lozier Institute and Assistant Professor of Practice at the Catholic U. And you can find his work a number of places, including, as we mentioned, the Charlotte Lozier Institute, but also on National Review. And we do have a link to this article on our Catholic Connection Archive section. Published recently on the nationalreview.com, supporters of legal abortion are divided on strategy in 2024. Thanks, Michael. No, thanks, Abby. Much appreciated. And have a great week. And we'll be right back on a Tuesday morning edition of Catholic Connection. You are listening to EWTN. Stay tuned. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Food for the Journey, Sister Ann Shield. You know, we would avoid a lot of difficult arguments just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord, give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, 
God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself and you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry. How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them? Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments. Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Hope you're having a great day. Stay safe out there. As you heard, we have some pretty big storms moving through throughout the country. Keep you posted here. And, of course, don't forget to tune into all of our great resources, EWTN News Nightly and EWTN News In-Depth, The World Over with Raymond. And don't forget CatholicNewsAgency.com and the National Catholic Register, NCRegister.com. Coming up, we're going to be going to Rome tomorrow with our very own Joni, Jones Rome, of course. You can find her beautiful blog at jonesrome at wordpress.com. And then we're also going to be doing another interview with John Birch. He's a wonderful attorney who is out there really working for so many great pro-life and family and Catholic causes. He's also written a powerful new book, and we interviewed him when the book first came out, but we're revisiting a live interview with him tomorrow because he's actually speaking at a pretty big event coming up in southeastern Michigan with a number of other experts talking about this transgender agenda and what it's doing to children, to families, to the law, because he is an expert on this from a legal perspective. But he comes at it also from a very loving Catholic perspective with the concern of those people who are being duped by this. People who may be seriously struggling with, for example, gender dysphoria, but are told and very, very quickly told that the only answer for them is to go through these life-altering, mutilating surgeries that do so much damage. So we'll dive into that with John Bursch and, of course, all things Roma with Joni. Have a great Tuesday. Look forward to speaking with you tomorrow on a Wednesday. Ciao, ciao. On Damani. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.